listeners, and welcome back to another episode of the Unfounded Podcast. Thank you for coming back. It's been quite a while since our last episode. I believe the last one we did was our Memorial Day tribute with Jessen and Bethany. And it's been quite a while since then. Um, I want to clue you into kind of what's been going on in my life in the last month or so. Um, me and Bethany have been working on a lot of different things together. And uh, one of them being a new project, a new podcast project. And we are titling it, titling it Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy. Uh, this new podcast uh, is a spiritual podcast, whereas the Unfounded podcast is based more from the secular perspective, trying to uh, demystify the spirit, excuse me, demystify the spiritual world for people uh, who maybe are more rooted in the secular perspective. Uh, whereas Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy is going to be kind of the opposite, um, more of a spiritual perspective um, uh, that you can approach the same concepts from. Um, but it's a little more unique than this show in that it, it's going to be using different modalities and methods, uh, things like tarot, uh, things like meditation and hypnosis, um, all of these tools kind of uh, using, uh, leveraging the the spirit realm itself, right? The energies around us uh, to kind of broaden the conversation and illuminate that conversation, kind of enunciate it for people. Uh, so that Ange Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy is, is going to be kind of a new project that I'm devoting a lot of time to. And that is what I've been getting up and off the ground uh, here at least the last week or so. So uh, with that comes a lot of new work, right? Um, design, that kind of stuff. So um, me and Beth have been working together on that and we're very excited to release that. Um, for my listeners, uh, I have gone into this before, but if you're a new listener, uh, it's something I should cover. Um, that spiritual, po that podcast we're going to be doing, that spiritual podcast, is that uh, because both me and Bethany are psychic mediums, uh, this is something that I've come to realize in myself through this podcast. So if you are curious in how that works uh, in any way or how the awakening process works at all, uh, this podcast is a good place to start. You'll, you'll see from the first episodes, it was pretty raw, pretty, um, what would I say, unfiltered and kind of uh, unedited in a, in a novice way. I'm trying to say, I'm trying to be kind to myself, but those first few episodes were a little rough. Uh, that being said, it was kind of the foundation for what this has become. And so I think it's interesting if you view the podcast in that context to go back and see where it was and where it is now. Um, what I want this podcast to be, uh, well, before I move on to that, um, Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy is going to be coming out sometime this week. We're just working on the artwork for it. So once we have the artwork done, it will be up and out for you to enjoy. Um, for my listeners here, as you know, uh, my name is Christopher Turner, but I am going to be going by a pseudonym in that podcast, Chris Sage. Uh, that is for multiple reasons, many of them for kind of protection reasons. Um, but that being said, I do feel compelled to tell my listeners that come to this podcast uh, about it. Um, specifically because I think we built a community and a relationship through this podcast in which um, I can trust these people, uh, you, I would hope, uh, specifically because of that. That being said, like a, the podcasts are going to be kind of different perspectives. So I think it would be interesting um, for any of you listeners out there to kind of compare the two if you'd like. So that being said, what is the Unfounded podcast going to become? Uh, well, it's not going to change too much in form. Uh, I am going to be doing more of these one-on-one -on -one conversations than I was initially thinking. Uh, I was, as you saw in the last couple episodes, bringing people together on this podcast, and I really enjoy that process. And I think it's really uh, something that can make the podcast uh, a little more dynamic, if nothing else. Um, but it's something that I, I really enjoy, just having other conversations, other people here to talk back to me instead of me just talking into a mic. Um, that being said, I, I do think that this other podcast we're doing will have a lot of opportunities for us to to have people on as well. Uh, so I, I don't know. And since I am doing it with Beth, um, I don't know if we're going to be doing more of that, you know, conversation um, in that podcast. So it's something you're, you're going to want to tune in for because a lot of the conversations I've been having here in this podcast, the more spiritual based ones, are going to kind of move over into that realm. Not that I won't talk about the spiritual side of things in this podcast. I will to the same degree I have before, but if I'm having those conversations on those other podcasts, it may become the platform or the venue in which I like to exp express them. If that makes sense. So 
And I do. I do find it useful to have these two perspectives, the secular-based one and the spiritual-based one, because I think this is the fundamental dynamic at play in the world at large right now. Is something like that, something like the secular and spiritual worlds clashing. And it's one of the things you can hear in that first episode. I have a topic today that I want to talk about, but before we get into that, I kind of want to expand on this idea of creation or creating something um, because it's an interesting process. Anything you create, it's uh, the process doesn't work out in the way that people usually think about it, uh, at least for me. And uh, what, I, what I'm trying to get to is something like usually we conceive of creating something if we want to make a business or a a painting or a a piece of music, you know, whatever it is, really anything you want to create. Um, In general, the world has taught us to think of it in terms of planning uh, in a linear way, something like it's a problem you need to solve. And in order to solve the problem, you have to define the problem. So what is it? And so people get this idea of, okay, I need to have an idea of what I want to create before I create it. It makes sense. It's logical. But that, and to some degree it is true, but I think it's um, a little overfocused. If nothing else, we overfocus on this this aspect of creating in pl- through planning, um, because a large part of the creation process is organic, for lack of a better term. Um, it doesn't happen in a linear way, uh, and it kind of grows as you create. So uh, it's, it's similar to the way we've described the ego as kind of a combination of both your perspective and other people's perspectives of you so that you're in control of it kind of in the parts that you control your perspective right how you express yourself and how you think about yourself but um, there's an aspect that you're not in control of and that's kind of how people view you you're not in direct control of it and that's kind of what's at play here i think create something all you have to know is a direction you want to walk in you have an idea but it's not really like a picture it's more like a feeling a pull you know people feel drawn to what they enjoy to do they feel drawn to play music they feel drawn to play video games you know they feel drawn to work on cars and they feel drawn to be a mother you know, there's a, there's a myriad of ways that people feel called to express love. We don't think of it in those terms usually, but that's, that's because we get stuck in this secular worldview. So when I was trying to define the Unfounded Podcast, I guess what I'm getting to is I, I could try to say what it's going to be moving forward, but I can't really tell you what it's going to be because it is organic uh, and what I can tell you is I'm going to continue to come on here and express myself in these ways and also have people join me so they can express themselves and we can share in this creation process, even, even if it's in a small way. And I, I do want to include you as a listener, as I've said the whole time in this process. Um, there's a couple of different ways you can do that through the social media accounts, you know, through the web page itself. Um, there's ways that you can actually record responses to these podcasts and I can play them on here if you'd like so that we can broaden the conversation. But that one of the ways we're going to do that is through this other podcast, Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy. It's a very interesting concept. I'm not going to explain it to you on here, but it's something that me and Bethany have been putting together through our own anecdotal experiences in the world coming together, forming kind of a new perspective. And as we've done that, we've realized some pretty profound things. Those things are going to be covered in that podcast. So, uh, I invite you to join me in that new venture, but also to, to continue to come here and enjoy this podcast and this this creation. So, with all of that out of the way, I think it's time we get into a topic. We haven't had a talking head episode with just me on here for a while now, and it's kind of refreshing, I gotta say, just to sit down and talk at a boom mic. I don't know if it's a boom mic, but it's on a stand that looks like a boom stand. So (laughs) I want to talk about responsibility today, which is, I think, an interesting segue or related topic, if nothing else, word, idea uh, to what we kind of covered in that Memorial Day episode, uh, duty, right? You know, what does it mean to be responsible and what does it mean 
to recognize what you're responsible for. How do you do that? What is responsibility? At a fundamental level, how do we define it in this world? Well, according to Google, there's three different general definitions. The first being the state or fact of having a duty, or duty in the definition, to deal with something or to have control over someone. A quote that they have below that as an example is a true leader takes responsibility for their team and helps them achieve goals. The second definition is the state or fact of being accountable or to blame for something. The third definition is the opportunity or ability to act independently and make decisions without authorization. It's an interesting one right there. That last one, without authorization. And who's authorizing your decisions? That's a question, right? Who is? Who controls, or what do you control, really? Because when it comes down to it, it usually is. Not usually, it always is. Fundamentally that. Choice. You, auth you authorize everything in your life. In that way, you're responsible for those choices. So finding that to yourself and how that applies in your own anecdotal experience um, is a way in which you can make you and your sphere of influence grow. I don't mean in an egotistical way. I don't mean that you'll be recognized for your ability to be responsible. Maybe you will. I'm not saying I'm saying that's not what your motivation should ever be. It should be something like as you become a more responsible person, you'll realize the ways in which you, the weight you haven't picked up in your life. And as you pick that weight up, you'll realize that weight was being carried by somebody else or wasn't being carried at all. And then as you realize and identify those different things that weren't being carried or were being carried by somebody else, you'll start to understand why your life looks the way it does. Because those things you aren't holding yourself responsible for are the things uh, that will grow chaos in your spheres of influence. And then that, what that'll do to your relationships is something like torment them. The chaos you create creates more chaos. You are the thing that creates order or defines it in some way through your decisions. So that if you're choosing to not decide, that's really like the greatest sin against yourself. You don't want to play. Somebody else will or something else will. That's the subject we cover in Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy. There's a, also a weird way in which we define things we're responsible for in a, a broad way. We take on too much, is what I'm trying to say. It's an odd thing we do. Everybody's done this, I'm sure. In some way, you just have to kind of search for it through your life. I've, I know I'm guilty of this. That when you find your own, you know, anecdotal experience, your own life to be unfulfilling in some way, usually what you'll do is look at the world. And you'll start to define places in the world that are causing, you know, you'll try to find, you'll look for the culprit, but you'll always look externally, never internally, not in the way I was just describing not in defining what you're responsible for and trying to pick those weights up, but in kind of running from those weights or putting them down or handing them to somebody else. But as we do that, we kind of look, we still look for the solution because we just gave it away. <laughs> you know what I mean? And as we give away that solution, we, we look out externally for it because we realize there's nothing there anymore for us to see. You know? If we've already defined ourselves as not responsible for the things we've given away, then there's nothing to look at and we have to look externally and thus the world becomes a demon literally it becomes the place your own hell uh, because the chaos that will be created from the responsibilities you aren't picking up uh, will feel and express itself in that form in something like a torture uh, chaotic torture and the world can look this way it goes back and forth between paradise and hell depending on the amount of responsibility you are picking up identifying and identifying properly. 
oddly enough, the things that you are trying to give away or identifying as too much for you, too much weight, uh, are the things that will make you realize what you are, fundamentally. And so when you give that away to you search for it externally as well. And you, we, I keep on saying you, but I'm including myself in this, listeners. I hope you know that. We, we tear ourselves down because we have nothing else to compare to anymore. What you should always compare yourself to is yourself yesterday, right? The old version of you, which dies each night. And you have this new opportunity, this new birth every morning when you open your eyes to be the perfect version of you whatever in whatever way you conceive that or whatever way that's been delivered to you there really is a possibility of that every day you open your eyes the example of that possibility is something like the figure of Jesus people that have walked the path not in a perfect way not in the way that I think the Bible sometimes makes people feel but in something like a willed way with willpower through responsibility it does grow when I was you know first making this podcast I live in Denver Colorado and I was living by myself and I was working for DoorDash and I was lost I was addicted and I realized that I had to start something that this calling, this pulling that I've had felt inside my whole life that was torturing me was something that wasn't meant to torture me. It was meant to wake me up. So I started to work on this. And as I worked on this, you know, I started to grow internally as I forced myself to listen to myself. It was a really odd thing to do. If you've ever tried it, you should. But my own desire to become my torture what I was responsible for too, realizing myself fully was my torture. You know, what I, what I judged myself against was myself, oddly enough, but it was the self I had hidden, my shadow self, the parts of myself that I had damned and locked away. Those parts still wanted to be recognized. And when I compared myself to who I felt I was, it never felt true. Never. And that kind of dishonesty, internal dishonesty is something that would just rip me apart. And I had to numb that pain. The only way I knew how to deal with it was to numb it. And I did that for years and years and years and years and years. When we run away from our responsibilities, especially that fundamental one, the responsibility to be who you are truly. Um, what you do is torture yourself. But when you give away the responsibility of other things like that, you know, maybe it's the responsibility to clean your home to make sure that your home is balanced so that you remain balanced. You know, maybe it's the responsibility to um, share your time with your loved one. When you give those things away to other things or other people or you put them down entirely, what you do is, you know, start to compare yourself to an external world in some way. What's the mechanism there? I'm not sure, but it's, it's, it is what happens. It, people get locked in this, especially in the consumer world, in this media-driven world. It, we get locked in looking at other people and then comparing ourselves to other people, but it's not really other people. It's perfect archetypes of the people that we think we know. Those archetypes presented by the individuals themselves, but through this filtering of social media, this choosing of sorts but this choosing to only reveal the conception of the ego that the people associate with good so that when we as other lost individuals you know looking for something to make us feel good about ourselves we, we look out and compare ourselves to other people that look like they feel good we start to torture ourselves more in an even more cruel way envious way why couldn't I swap with you right whoever the person is or the lifestyle you're thinking about 
And in that kind of dishonoring our higher selves, as if it's not good enough, has to be somebody else. The kind of pain that can reek inside of somebody is hard to describe, even harder to identify sometimes, oddly enough. But everybody's experiencing the same fundamental pain. Pain is pain. But it, it's like something like it stems from the fundamental forgetting of what you are. Not just the forgetting. It's the giving up on what you are that will truly make you hurt. And in that process, make your sphere of influence shrink. It'll, it'll make you eventually isolated and responsible for only yourself. Because that's all you, literally yourself, your physical being. Because that's all you're willing to pick up. Or even if you're not picking that up, that's the only thing that, <clears throat> excuse me, people can identify as your responsibility. But in a more high vibration perspective, when you start to identify and pick up those things around you, those easy things that are right directly around you, those responsibilities that you can grab right now today, you start to carry those weights, um, you become stronger from it, like weight training, like a spiritual weight training. And as you do that, you start to realize like, oh, okay. Just like if you're lifting 15 pound dumbbells for a week and then you, you know, go back in the next week, you feel like they're five pound dumbbells gotta go up and wait there's a more responsibility for you to pick up it's all around you constantly it never goes away it just grows your sphere of, your sphere of influence grows so like i said as i started before what i was before i got on a tangent as i started this podcast i was you know only responsible for myself because i'd isolated myself i had dishonored my higher self and cast away my responsibilities to other people or not picked them up entirely or period at all and because of that I was alone responsible for only me really and in that process really I realized that I wanted to be responsible for something more so I just tried to start picking up what I could for myself and that process works you know taking care of yourself fundamentally treating yourself like you care like you give a shit talking to yourself with respect instead of degradation so tearing yourself down as if you're somebody you hate when you do something wrong taking that word itself out of your vocabulary hate those little things doing the chores you know you should do for yourself not for anybody else so that you can lead a balanced and predictable life an ordered life one that can be navigated one in which you're an active participant, not one in which things are happening to you. As you get good at that, you start to realize, oh, okay, this isn't hard anymore. This actually makes everything easier. <laughs> what else can I pick up? I think that's the fundamental process through which the most respected human beings in existence have come to be. Figures like Abraham Lincoln. The Stoics themselves, I think, have this fundamental understanding of responsibility that is lacking in the modern world. It's been overused politically and this deemed evil in some way, in a weird way. But I want to go to a quote I have by Abraham Lincoln that I thought was really fitting before I started the podcast as I was thinking about what word I wanted to focus on today. <clears throat> Excuse me. It says, you cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. You cannot escape the responsibility of tomorrow by evading it today. It doesn't go away. Nobody speaks up, right? Procrastination in some form. Similar to the dragon concept, the Jungian idea of the shadow. But that your responsibilities kind of um, become what you make them. 
They either become something that builds you up and strengthens you, an ally of sorts, or they become something that terrorizes you and threatens to destroy you. The more energy you put towards or away from those things, the more they grow into one or the other. Each responsibility grows into its own demon of sorts, its own monster. Dragon. And that's where the myth of the dragon is so important. What does the dragon hide? What does it hold? What does it love? Gold, right? Riches. Abundance. It holds what you desire. Over time, the responsibility holds what you desire. <laughs> you have to be the thing to conquer it in a way. That hill, that hurdle. You have to get over it. And then once you're over it, you realize you're the thing that can. Get over it. You're the thing that can slay the dragon every time. And then you become the thing that slays dragons. Once you realize you can, you know? slays responsibilities, picks them up and carries them when other people are pushing them away and setting them down, right? Yeah, I've been watching this show. Um, it's a really interesting show. I'd recommend it called The Chosen on the Peacock uh, streaming network. It's free, which is nice. But it's about the Bible. It's about the story of Jesus. Some of, not all of the New Testament, but some of the New Testament it follows. Uh, and it's an interesting show because, um, you know, it shows the figure of Jesus and kind of you get this archetypal idea of the person that he was, right? Um, but me and Beth were talking the other day as we were watching it. <clears throat> and there's what I find interesting is the figure of Jesus in the New Testament. You, you you hear of him and you know of him after the birth. We have to, you know, he comes into existence. I was going to say we have to, he was birthed, but that sound weird. After Jesus is born, he, he, there's some written about him as a, <clears throat> excuse me, an early child, but there's a huge gap between like his late childhood and his adult life when he picks up, you know, as he's becoming the Messiah. There's this gap of something like 20 years or, you know, this unknown time in Jesus's history and what was happening during that time to him. Nobody knows, really. But what I could venture to guess is something like he was learning to be who he was. He was awakening in that process. And the reason it's not included is because that process is dirty. It's it's torturous and the figure of Jesus wouldn't have looked like the figure of Jesus if you saw him struggling with the same things he wouldn't look like a messiah he'd look like a human which is some of the shame in hiding that part of the story I think if it was hidden it would be something like that it dehumanized the figure of Jesus in a way that has actually caused people to idolize him instead of applying the figure inwardly to themselves, realizing that they can be or already are the same thing. The only difference is Jesus chose to be what he was. You know, no matter what, what perspective you look at it <clears throat> from, whether you believe <clears throat> excuse me, regardless of what religion you believe, if you believe that Jesus was just a prophet or that Jesus was just a person or that he didn't exist at all or that he was the Messiah God embodied, uh, whatever perspective you approach it from, um, there's a necessity uh, in any of those insta instances uh, to be human means to forget where you are. It's still true in any of those instances. So that in order to be human, in order to embody a son or the closest thing to God himself on earth, then you'd have to forget what you are. And how do you remember what you are? But through spiritual awakening process, through enlightenment, so that even God himself had to be enlightened. That's kind of the idea I'm getting to.
I find that figure, when you think about it that way, more inspiring or more practical. When you realize that Jesus was a human being and that he most likely struggled with the same things you struggle with, the same ideas, the same thoughts, the same torturous inward intent, then you realize that it's all of the good qualities of that person are still true. All of the things that you associate in a positive light with Jesus can exist in the same space as those things, those human qualities that are apparently evil or inhuman as we've labeled them, something to be deleted, as if they're not fundamentally part of the process. There would be no enlightenment without the shadow. There's nothing to enlighten then. It's the same idea as there would be no life without death. Up and down, left and right. Duality of life and everything. It's the same fundamental equation everywhere. Up, down, left, right. It has to be something that chooses. That's what we are. I think that's the most simple, the simplest way I've ever conceived of the universe and our place in it. Eyes divided into up, down. We're the thing that chooses in the middle. Now I say that, and that's, I can already tell you that's not the truth, the total way we think about it. But there's an interesting way in which when you conceive of the universe or God or totality, if you conceive of it, it exists in that way too, because you are a part of it. That's why any idea that you have, one, isn't yours, but also two, isn't. Novel. There are no new ideas. Only more intricate decisions, intricate decisions based on the same ideas. The same repeating fundamental energies. So that when viewed from an external perspective, it looks extremely complicated, but viewed from an internal one, it's something like the simplest thing you could possibly design. Up, down. It's in some ways why I think the attempt to try to classify the universe or describe it through mathematical language is something like a Not an impossibility, but... Well, yeah. It's too... It's only one perspective. You can't quantify, I don't think, the universe with one equation because you're doing it from a top-down, external way. So from that perspective, it looks extremely complicated. Imagine trying to simplify down the most complicated equation in the universe, but trying to define the entire universe based on the complicated part, not the simple part. The external perspective, not the internal one. You, I don't think you could ever get to a point where it would make sense in any way. It'd be just as mystifying, or if we could, it'd be just as mystical as the language itself. The mathematics would be as mystical to every single person on the earth, except for the person that designed it, as religious ideas are now. They'd start, they'd actually become the same thing a religion of sorts. Just the numbers would take place of the figures that we've created. Or the figures that we have, more accurately. Abraham Lincoln had a lot of responsibility. <laughs> right? And that's partially what I mean to identify as well. You know, as you take on more responsibility, your ability to take on more responsibility grows. Thus, more responsibility is presented to you instantaneously. You level up and you already have more responsibility. You know you've leveled up when there's more responsibility knocking at your door. Trick is, like, what direction are you going in life? You know, it's not like you can accept everything that comes to, to your door, right? That's where it's important to define what you are. What is my responsibility to my higher self? In what way should I respond to this thing that's being presented to me? Is it my responsibility in that relation or not? 
Does this align with who I am or not? Once you get past the fundamental responsibilities, like taking care of yourself, you know, I think that's what it becomes. More of a calculated decision on who you are in a broader concept, your conception of yourself, and then applying the responsibility that you're being handed or given to that conception of yourself and does it fit? Because if you if it doesn't and you try to take that on, it will crush you. You're not the thing built for it. So like figures like Abraham Lincoln are rare, right? Or there's not a hundred or a million of them. There's one of them. And that's why the responsibility he was given was very unique, just like the suffering he was given. It's the same for each individual person in the universe, I think. You're each given very specific responsibilities. Some of them overlay, some of them are the same, just because of the fundamental reality, we are all the same humans. So we have to be responsible for some things in common. But that, similar to a fingerprint, what you're responsible for in the grand scheme of your life in totality is something like very unique, similar to the suffering you all experience. It's all tailor-made to fit you. Nobody else. Which is why it's just sin against yourself to compare yourself to somebody else, because you'll never be them, and your responsibilities will never match theirs. Not the ones you want to. So if you continue to do that, you'll continue to terrorize and torture yourself, nobody else. Or at least nobody else initially. Until that pain gets so much you can't contain it, and it starts to seep out into your life and affect everybody else around you. And that starts happening it's very hard to track down who's at, who's to blame, who's the culprit, who started it, essentially. <laughs> the answer in this is a situation, even if there's 15 people or a thousand people, it's always you, and that means everybody. You all started it. <laughs> the answer is always, always the one people's don't, people don't want. What one answer would nobody accept? It's you. Okay, that's the answer. In a weird way, it's the anti-democratic concept. What people want is actually probably not the answer. What people need is, but that's usually what people identify as what they don't want. Or something separate from that. That's why there's two words for it. Right? I speak of responsibility because it's something that I'm trying to incorporate more fully into my life. And the way I spoke about it earlier is something that I have been overwhelmed with at times as I've gone through this creation process that I spoke about at the beginning of the podcast. <clears throat> Every time it's overwhelming, just in a new way, the responsibility you pick up will always feel like a weight initially because it is something that's adding on to who you are. But as I said, as you work out with that thing in a certain figurative sort of way, <clears throat> you become more figuratively spiritually stronger. And you become the thing that picks up more weight, more responsibility. And I have been applying this or realizing this concept more fully as I've tried to create, tried to create something else. Because that's the other, and I think maybe the final point I'll make is as we create something, we don't realize the responsibility that entails any project or anything we do once it's created it's then our responsibility in a similar way to the perspective of a parent or a god looking at his creation or her creation but the parent idea is probably more relatable to people you know you have a child and you've created this thing you're now responsible and it's 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 not the same thing as you initially it's smaller, it's defenseless, it can't speak, it doesn't understand the world. Initially, it can't even see. It's the most defenseless thing you could imagine. So you created something that enters a world that is fundamentally dangerous, ripe with suffering, and it is defenseless. It is your responsibility to be the thing that defends that. Up until that thing becomes a thing that can defend itself. It's a weird way to de <laughs> describe a child as a thing, but there's... I feel like it fits the topic for some reason. That baby 
slowly becomes autonomous as it picks up its own small responsibilities in the world. In a weird way, it's your responsibility to see and to talk, to stand up, to walk, to eat. You choose to do that. It still is a choice, each one of those things. In a weird way. But as we choose those things, they become automated. You know, it's like riding a bike. You ride the bike once and you have to think about how to pedal and how to brake, how to keep it balanced all at the same time. You're thinking actively, but as you incorporate that, it becomes something that's automatic. Something you don't even think about, you just do. In a similar way, seeing and speaking, I think all of the ways in which we communicate or receive information is fundamentally switched on or off through our choice. And we choose as little in infant beings like that to walk and to talk and to read, to write. And as we get better at those things, they become incorporated into us and we become them and they become us so that it's no longer an active process. It runs by default. In the same way, every responsibility you pick up in your life acts in the same way, regardless of whether it's an external thing, a more external thing than what I just described. Abraham Lincoln, I'm sure, never conceived that he would be assassinated, or he'd have a responsibility of leading a country through a civil war, or that he would be called to emancipate the slaves. That he'd be called to do something as terrifying as that if you're realistic with yourself and you place yourself in a person like that shoes in that time frame and understand the way people treat each other when they feel strongly and emotionally tied to something and scared, especially. understand the responsibility the specific type and magnitude of weight that person carried it becomes a new question it's it, when you look at it you, you develop a new question it's something like how in the world how can you pick up something that heavy especially if we're sitting here at home we're listening to a podcast and we're eating potato chips or something it's like shit I can barely maintain my weight this person led a country through a war and emancipated the human civilization <laughs> from itself. How did they get there? This is the only way I've ever found that makes any sense in my own anecdotal experience. But it seems to resonate in these individuals and these figures when you look at them and they describe how they lead their lives and how they conceive of themselves as something like the thing that continues thing that's complete, the thing that already knows what it is. And then that has a vector, a direction. And anything that falls on that path, it's mine. Any responsibility that's in my way, I pick up or I get over. That's drive, that's willpower. It's identity. It's confidence. It's self-love. And it's love for the universe as a whole. Because in realizing yourself and loving yourself, you're realizing you are loving totality, universe, God. It's the highest honor you could give source. I hope for each of you listening, you find what it is that is that you can pick up around you, whether it's internally or externally, what responsibilities you've put down that you feel or know, maybe more accurately internally, that you're supposed to be holding. Then maybe try it just for a second. Maybe go pick up that one thing and bear the suffering it entails until you become the thing that doesn't notice it anymore. It can't hurt anything. The only thing it could take away is your time. But it's not yours, one, and it doesn't exist, two. You can't waste something that doesn't exist. Same way, same concept of money is, money is a very good metaphor for time. Or analogy, whichever it would be, I don't know. I always confuse those two things. I think it's metaphor. Time is like money. 
it's not real. Not the way you think about it. It doesn't actually have any value. Money doesn't. In the same way time doesn't have any value inherently. It just is. And it is because we say it is. That's why it feels like it can shift. It can go forward, or it can expand and contract, it can speed up, it can slow down. You can experience this if you've been through really frightening scenarios, or you've been in love, or you've been really hungry, or you've been really mad. Anytime that happens, anytime your emotions switch, you'll notice time just wobbles. It shows how unstable it is, or how unreal it is, one of the two. At least in the way, the fixed way we think about it. It's not fixed the very least. There's an interesting article I read not too long ago because I've talked about these ideas, I think, on the podcast, but a lot, well, I know I have a lot. The idea of time not existing and the way that we conceive of it. And really arguing with certain thinkers that have gone before us, people like Einstein, which is an audacious thing to do because it's a brilliant mind, right? But I am you and you am I. What I said earlier applies. I think Einstein would have been the first one person to realize that or recognize that. Tesla would have been another good example of this. Those people were spiritual thinkers in that they recognized that these ideas weren't theirs. It's the only way they could access those things. It really is fundamentally the only way. The truth is you don't create your ideas. You get them from somewhere. The Akashic knowledge base, the Akashic record. That record is based on other individuals' contribution to it. So in that, it's not yours. It's a combination of all the ideas that have come before it. Every idea that's ever existed is wrapped up in every other new idea that ever exists. It's never yours. You're simply the thing that connects with it or resonates with it, or is the thing that is supposed to present it when properly aligned. In order to access that, you have to realize you're the thing to present it, not the thing that creates it. Because in thinking you're the thing that creates it, you think you're the god of it. And then you become the ego monster that stems from that and thinking you're a god of anything. And you see how that terrorizes people throughout their life. How our corporate systems and our economic system itself kind of incentivizes that kind of degradation inside of the individual, the spiritual and moral degradation that comes from it. There's a way in which the easiest way to make your life better is simply to identify what you're responsible for. And I'm thinking I'm going to wrap it up there, guys. Before I do that, actually, because I didn't finish my thought, Einstein thinkers like that, they access this stuff. But in doing that, there's always new ideas. It's never the full picture. It's not like they're accessing the full truth. They can't tap into the full Akashic knowledge base. If they could, they'd be this universe itself. They wouldn't be human. So you get a piece of it. But in getting a piece of it, you have to fill in the other pieces still. You're still trying to come up with a conception of how this thing works. So you fill in the gaps. Those gaps, the parts we fill in, are what's incorrect. With anyone that's come before us. That's why there has to be a new idea that expands on it. One of the ways in which I think we're seeing that right now, one of the, oddly enough, a scientific theory or at least some evidence is being presented uh, that time doesn't exist. I forget where I read it. I'll have to look it up, see if I can find it again and present it to you guys. But it was an article uh, about, I believe, an Indian researcher, um, physicist, I believe. I'm, don't quote me on that. I'd have to double check the article. But uh, a scientist, nonetheless, that... Uh, had discovered through some type of experimentation data analysis that there was a flaw in Einstein's theory of relativity, that being that time itself wasn't a fundamental thing. That's at least what I took from the article. I took that because when I read it, 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 it hit me hard because these are ideas I've been talking about for a while and it seemed like something like anecdotal, real evidence, tangible evidence that it is true. The spiritual and secular worlds crossing over. 
But that means a lot of things if time doesn't exist. What is speed if time doesn't exist? How fast are you going? Or how slow if time isn't real? When was before and when was after if time isn't real? Do you need time travel anywhere? Or are you already there right now? <laughs> right? Time doesn't exist. Magic starts to become a possibility. And as I've said before, guys and gals, it's real. It really is. What you think about is real. What you dream about is real. Magic is real. I hope to show you that and demonstrate that to you more fully in Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy. And I hope to continue to talk to you and share myself and my experience with you through this podcast and to share people that I find fascinating and brilliant to engage with them and you here. See if we can't unseat some of these unfounded ideas or all of them because they kind of all are, aren't they? If you're honest with yourself. I will be back very soon with another one of these type of episodes. And as I said before, I will get you the information to where you can find our new podcast, Aliens, Angels, and Alchemy, here very soon in the next episode, hopefully. I want to thank you very much for your support. Big shout out to Blake Avatoria for his continued support every month. I thank you, Blake. We appreciate you here. And just want to send you guys a lot of love and a lot of thanks for being here, for being my friends, for being my listeners and for helping me wake up. Thank you. Good night.